So good to be with all of you today. Welcome to Fort Caroline. If you're new, I am Ricky. I'm the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church, and we thank you for joining us today. I don't know about you, but I don't care for bullies. In my freshman year in high school, I met the high school bully. I don't remember his name, but I do remember his menacing look. I remember his daily taunts. He would make fun of me as I walked through the hallway to get to one class or the other. And it, gave, it got so bad, I finally tried to find ways through the hallways where I could avoid him. I got tired of his taunts. I got tired of him trying to embarrass me in front of my friends. And so he would shove me into a locker and laugh, and they would walk away. One day I was in the cafeteria, and I was eating my meal, and he walked up and he shoved my tray across the table. And I don't know what came over me, but in that moment I stood up, and I turned and faced this bully, and I said, I've had enough of you. Meet me in the stairwell. This ends today. And I turned around and walked out, went to the stairwell. A couple of my friends went with me, and as soon as I got out there, I thought, what have you done? I couldn't believe I said it. I couldn't believe I asked him out in the hallway. And my friends couldn't believe I had said it. But they also couldn't believe when he never showed up. He never showed up. And from that day forward, I didn't have a problem with him. I guess it's one of the reasons I like Captain America. You remember Captain America, the 2011, the first Avenger, uh, the scrawny Steve Rogers is trying to get into the military so he can fight in World War II. And he's asked by a doctor, uh, so, so you want to kill Nazis? And he said, I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. And, and so I think maybe you could relate to that, that you don't like bullies. And this world is filled with bullies. This world is filled with people who have hate and animosity and intolerance and prejudice and violence and it seems like our world at times is spinning out of control. And it seems that so much of the heartache that we experience in this world and we see flashed on our television screens is because of bullies, people who abuse and take advantage of other people. And it can make you want to just give up and say, there's no hope. There is no hope. And you can become discouraged and depressed whenever you see picture after picture of evil perpetrated by bullies. And some of you don't have to watch the news. You know what it is to have a spouse who is abusive, either physically or verbally. Some of you know what it is to leave this service today and go home to a spouse who will ridicule you because of your faith. Or you're a teenager who will go to school and you will be laughed at because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you know what it is to be to be misused in a business deal where you trusted someone and they took advantage of you. And sadly, a lot of the evil in our world is even perpetrated in the name of religion. And it can get so bad, you just wonder, is there any hope? This world just seemed like it's spiraling out of control. And sometimes we can wish for a Captain America. Where is someone who can come and fight these bullies for us? And then I'm reminded, we don't need Captain America. We have Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. We have one who has promised that his love can conquer anything. If it can conquer the grave, it can conquer anything, including hate. And the reason that I personally choose not to lose hope, even when the world seems to be spiraling out of control, 
Or maybe the reason you shouldn't lose hope whenever your own personal life feels like it's spiraling out of control because of the bad choices of other people is because we still have a Savior who is in the life-changing business. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, all the way to the Gentile. doesn't matter who you are. The love of Jesus Christ can change your life. And because of that, I don't give up. Instead, what I have decided to do is to redouble my efforts as a follower of Jesus to tell as many people about him as I can so that the same Jesus who is changing my life can change their life as well. He's the hope we're looking for. He's the help that we need. He is the only Savior that this world will ever find who can truly change us from the inside out. In church, I am more than willing as a church and as an individual Christian to roll up my sleeves and to work with anyone of goodwill in any social justice issue that we need to address. And while we do that, the church must never abdicate her responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of good stuff we can do in our community, and we ought to do it. But one thing we must never forget, we are called to do by Jesus Christ, and that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this world. That is the only task that we have been called to do that no one else can do, to share the gospel of Jesus. And I am convinced, because of my own life and the testimony I see in this church, that the power of God is still at work through the love of Jesus Christ as we tell people about him. And if there was anybody in the Bible that was a bully, it's the guy we're going to talk about today. And I want you to see how the love of Christ changed his life. And if you were maybe writing a book called Bullies of the Bible, this guy would certainly make your list. His name was Saul, uh, not the Old Testament Saul, the New Testament Saul that we're going to read about today in Acts chapter 9. I want to talk to you about how to overcome and how to come back from hate. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Now, we're already, we've already been introduced to this guy named Saul prior to chapter 9. He is a Jew. He has been schooled by the greatest rabbis of Judaism in the first century. He is zealous for the Jewish faith. He has heard about Jesus, but he has rejected that Jesus was the Messiah. As far as Saul was concerned, Jesus ended up where he deserved. He ended up condemned by the Jews, crucified by the Romans, buried and done away with. The problem, though, that Saul had was that as far as he was concerned, Jesus was dead and gone, but his followers were still around. And that not only should Jesus be buried, but his followers ought to be buried. The movement of the way ought to be buried. And so he made it his life's ambition to stamp out Christianity in its very early days. The first time we see him is he's standing there while the first Christian is killed for his faith. His name was Stephen Stephen was a godly young man. He was a deacon of the church. He was a bold witness towards the resurrected Jesus. And because of that, he was condemned and stoned to death by the Jewish leadership. And Saul was standing there holding the garments of the men who were stoning Stephen. 
They needed to be free so they could hurl those rocks and kill this Christian. And Saul was holding their clothes, holding their jackets while they did it. And it says there in, in, in Acts chapters 7 and 8 that he consented, he applauded the death of Stephen and wanted to see more people either blaspheme and renounce their faith or die for their faith in Jesus Christ. So that's where we pick up. We pick up on this, this religious terrorist who is out seeking to arrest Christians and have them condemned. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 begins this way. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's the picture of Saul. The word breathing out, threats and murder, is a beautiful, well, it's actually an ugly picture of a, a snorting, roaring animal seeking to devour its prey. Uh, later in Acts chapter 26, I think it is, Paul would say that he was filled with rage and fury against people who followed Jesus Christ. And he said whenever Christians were put up to be tried and condemned to die for their faith, he said, I would cast the deciding vote. If somebody had to cast the deciding vote, whether this Christian lived or died, I voted they die. That's the guy we're reading about here. And he is wanting to kill more Christians. He gets authority from the Jewish Sanhedrin, which had been given great latitude, not only in Israel, but all throughout the Roman Empire by the Romans to kind of officiate Jewish life. And so the high priest give him letters of authority to go into a synagogue and interrogate people, to go into Jewish homes and interrogate people and arrest them and bring them back and put them on trial. And he says, the first place I'm going, I'm going to Damascus, that ancient city where there's a large population of Jewish people. And I have rumors that there are some Jews who have converted to Jesus as the Messiah. And if I find any men or women who belong to the way, I'm going to put them on trial. And by the way, did you notice the phrase, the way? Did you know that long before we were called Christians in the city of Antioch for the first time, we were first known as people of the way? Where did that come from? It came from the fact that Jesus proclaimed in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And Christians became known as people of the way because they followed Jesus who is the way and they reoriented their whole lives to living for Jesus. And it changed them. And so he's wanting to find them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And he's going to make this 150-mile journey from Jerusalem to Damascus. Look at verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. He could see the city walls. He could see the towers. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. Later, as Paul or Saul would give his testimony, he would say this was at midday. 
The sun is at its zenith and it's midday and yet something far brighter than the midday sun suddenly shone from heaven. He knew this isn't an ordinary light. Verse 4, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? By the way, we know who this is in this great light speaking to him. We know what Saul doesn't know this is Jesus. One of the reasons we know it's Jesus is because this is typical of Jesus. When Jesus wants to gently rebuke someone, he will often call their name twice. Remember, he did that to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon. Remember, he did it to Martha. Martha, Martha. Have you ever, have you ever wondered, did I just hear Jesus call my name Ricky, Ricky? You know, has he ever called your name twice? And so this is Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. By the way, Saul learned a theological lesson that day he would never forget. He learned that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the living Son of God, risen from the dead. He also learned there is a mystical union between the head of the church, Christ in heaven, and the body of Christ made up of followers of Jesus down here on earth, and that to persecute them is as good as persecuting him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting And right there in that moment, Saul must have wondered, will a bolt of lightning from that great light in heaven now pierce my heart and kill me here on my knees? Did Jesus come to condemn? Did he come seeking revenge on me for what I've done to him and to his followers? But he'll also learn a theological lesson, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so rather than hearing next a word of judgment, he hears a word of grace. Jesus says to him in verse 6, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul, you came here on your own agenda, but I have an agenda that is far greater than yours. You came here to arrest people of the way, but I here today have arrested you by my grace. You came towards Damascus with physical sight, but spiritual blindness. I now give you physical blindness, but spiritual sight. You see who I am. You came for death and destruction, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. You just trust me. I'm not finished with you yet. I'll tell you what you are to do. Now he's got an entourage with him and it says in verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one. They they didn't see Jesus and they hear something even though they don't understand what's going on. 
I will always remember walking into the home of, of Dayton Cannon, Dr. Dayton Cannon. He was the founding pastor of Gateway Baptist Church, the second church I ever served. And he was dying of cancer, and he was a godly man. One of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. And as I walked into his bedroom, knowing he doesn't have long to live, I went to comfort him. And as I walked up to his bedside, I saw Dr. Cannon's lips moving. And so I, I leaned down, and I said, Pastor, it's me, it's Ricky. I'm here, I just came to tell you how much I love you, and our church loves you. We're praying for you. And his lips were moving, and I said, Dr. Cannon, I don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> And as clear as day, a man who had not spoken for days turned, looked at me, and he says, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Later, he would tell his caregiver, do you see Jesus? He's here. Do you see him? He's here. And a short while later, he died. And I think the reason these men with Saul didn't understand what was going on. Jesus wasn't talking to them. He had an appointment with Saul. Verse 8, so Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. By the way, that's a familiar phrase, here I am, Lord. You see Isaiah saying that in Isaiah 6, here am I, Lord, send me. This is a, this is a follower's way of saying, uh, reporting for duty. But Ananias may be quick <laughs> to say that because once he hears the details of what Jesus is going to ask him to do, he's got second thoughts. Verse 11, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. That was a main thoroughfare in Damascus running west to east from the west gate of the city all the way to the east gate of the city. He says, I want you to go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But... Ananias answered, Lord, uh, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name, kind of like me. He's saying, Lord, far be it from me to tell you how to conduct your business down here on earth. But let me inform you about something I know. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. About this guy named Saul. You do understand he came to this city for a very explicit reason. To arrest people like me. Are you sure you want this to happen? Verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Jesus says, he's one of mine. I've claimed him, not based on his merit, but my mercy. Not based on what he's done good, but by my sheer grace. And I've got a plan and a purpose for him. 
That man who thought he was going to stamp out Christianity is going to spread Christianity far and wide. He's going to spread the good news of who I am to Gentiles, to kings, to emperors, even to his own Jewish people. And I know you're worried about Saul, Ananias, making more Christians suffer. But it's okay, because Saul is going to suffer a lot now. For the cause of Christ. Look at verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Later the Apostle Paul, I think it was in his second letter to the Corinthians, would tell people how much he suffered. Just give them a little glimpse. He says, I was beaten nearly to death multiple times. I was stoned nearly to death. I was shipwrecked. I was destitute of food. I was naked and in prison. I was beaten and rejected, run out of one city to another. And listen, if you are a skeptic about the resurrection of Jesus, I fully understand the first followers of Jesus were skeptics of the resurrection of Jesus. But one of the questions you have to answer is what can you Give as an explanation for the transformation of Saul, the persecutor, into the one we now call Paul, the great missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you account for his radically changed life? How do you account for a man who would suffer and eventually be beheaded by the Romans for one reason? He wouldn't stop preaching Jesus is risen from the dead. How do you explain it? There's only one adequate explanation. He saw Jesus. Jesus changed his life. And he never got over it. And he couldn't stop talking about it. And he was willing to suffer for the cause of the name of Jesus. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, listen to these beautiful words. The first time Saul ever hears these words, brother Saul. Isn't that amazing? Brother Saul, you're now a part of the family of God. Not just because you're a Jew, but because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're ever new to Christianity and you wonder, why do these people call each other brother and sister? Hey, brother, how are you doing? Hey, sister, how are you? It's not because we're related by our blood. We're related by the blood of Jesus. We're related by the common faith we have in Jesus, where God is our heavenly father, Jesus is our common big brother, and we are now joint heirs in the family of God. Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Even though he hadn't eaten or drank anything for three days, he immediately gets up and he goes with Ananias to the Abana River outside the city of Damascus and he's baptized. Why? Because that's what Christians do. Christians obey the command of Jesus to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, symbolizing the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. By the way, if you've never been baptized, but you're a follower of Jesus, you need to let us know. You need to go public with your faith in Jesus. This is not something you put off. It's not optional. Jesus commands us to be baptized as a public testimony of our faith in Jesus. And we would be honored to do that baptism with you. It also says in verse 19, in taking food, he was strengthened. 
And listen to this. For some days he was, what's the word? With. He was with the disciples at Damascus. He was with them. He was one of them. He was a part of them. He identified with them through baptism and he associated with them. Why? Because that's what Christians do. We go public with our faith in Jesus and we get together to learn more about him and to live out our faith in Jesus in our own communities. Christianity knows nothing about lone ranger Christians who are off by themselves doing their thing. Christianity is about the people of God coming together in a common faith, worshiping Him, learning about Him, and then scattering to live for Him. And listen to verse 20. And immediately He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And why did Saul do that? Because that's what Christians do. They tell other people, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord and Savior. He does forgive sins. He was crucified. He was buried. But he did rise from the dead, vindicated as the Son of God. Verse 21, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? People couldn't believe it. That this religious terrorist has now professed faith in Jesus. Can it be true? Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. How did he prove it? He proved it through his lips by reasoning with them from the Old Testament. This is what God was up to. See, it's right in our scriptures. And Jesus has fulfilled the scriptures. And he proved Jesus is the Christ by not only his lips, but his life. Look at me. I'm a living testimony, Saul would say, that Jesus is in the life-changing business. And why? Why did Jesus do this for Saul? It's not because he deserved it. It's by God's grace. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Paul would say to that young preacher, Timothy, but God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, this is why Jesus saved me. I didn't deserve it. But he wants to make me exhibit A. That if Jesus can save that guy, he can save anybody. If he can save him, he could save me. Too. Maybe, maybe because Jesus lives, it's not too late and I'm not too far gone for a comeback. Maybe because Jesus lives, it's not too late and I'm not too far gone to receive God's love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. And dear friend, that's not only the testimony of Saul that we now call Paul, that is the testimony of every Christian in this room, every follower of the Jesus watching us today online. This is our testimony. Jesus saved me, the chiefest of sinners. And if he can save me, he can save you. If he loves me, he loves you. We sang it a moment ago, didn't we? Living proof. Something marvelous happened to me. I can just hear Saul singing this. Something marvelous happened to me. I was a prisoner. Your love broke me free. I was blind. 
in unbelief. And you made me see. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm living proof. My God is on the move. There is nothing that he can't do. Faith, rise up. Faith, rise up. Something scandalous has happened to me. I was a criminal, but your blood washed me clean. I was destined for the grave, but you rose for me. Hallelujah. And all the Baptists said, hallelujah. See, the Baptist said amen, but I wanted you to say hallelujah. Exactly. Exactly. Because hallelujah just means praise the Lord. What does this mean to us today? First of all, it means if you're not a follower of Jesus, today is the day. What he did in Saul's life, he wants to do in your life. He comes in grace and mercy and love and he extends to you his forgiveness. Will you receive him as the son of God who came into this world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross as your substitute, went into a grave but on the third day rose from the dead? Will you turn from your sin and put your confidence in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Do it today. We're going to close in a prayer in just a moment. And maybe today you'll talk to God and come to Jesus by faith. And if you do that, I want you to let me know. Go to our website, fcbc.life. And there's a, there's a Let's Connect card. And at the bottom of it, there's a, just a little checkbox. You just click a button that says, Today I committed my life to Christ. Let us know that. If you're in the room, I'll be right here at the front. I would love to know after this service that today you've committed your life to Christ. But what about all of us who already have done that? What does this message have to say to us today? It says to us, because Jesus rose, it's never too late. You're never too far gone for a comeback. There's nobody in this world we need to give up on. No matter how bad things become, no matter how out of control things are, no matter how much evil we see on the news, no matter how much prejudice or hate or violence or racism or corruption that we see that wants to beat us down and make us give up, let us never forget our confidence is not in us, is not in government, is not in other people. Our confidence is in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who is in the life-changing business. And we've got the message that can change people's lives. Let us redouble our efforts to tell men and women, boys and girls, here and around the world, this good news. Will you recommit? Will you step up your game? Will you get in the game? Will you give? Will you serve? Will you tell? Will you invite? Let's work together Because this world desperately needs to know this Jesus who can set them free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you and praise you for the testimony of grace in Saul's life. And the power of God that changed his life is still the power of God changing people's lives here and around the world. There are many of us in this room who are living proof of your grace and your mercy. We are not perfect, but we are sinners saved by grace. And we thank you for your love. And Father, we rededicate ourselves to being the people that you want us to be on mission, telling others about Jesus, going public through baptism, getting together as the body of Christ, learning more about you and living for you, and then scattering in our communities, telling people Jesus is the Son of God. So Father, help us to be on mission with you, to be faithful in your task. And if there's someone today, maybe a young person, maybe a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, a grandparent, maybe it's someone here for the first time, or maybe it's someone who's been coming to this church for years, but today they realize they've never truly trusted Jesus and Jesus alone as their Lord and their Savior.
Friend, if that's you, I invite you today to talk to Jesus. Just as he was on the road to Damascus with Saul, he's here with you today, wherever you are. Say to him, dear God, I admit to you that Jesus is your son. Jesus, I believe you lived a perfect life where I have not. And you gave your perfect life in exchange for my sin. You took my punishment on the cross. You died the death I deserved. But you rose from the dead. And you promised if I would turn from my sin and put my faith in you, I would be forgiven and I'd be given the gift of eternal life. Today, Jesus, I turn to you and I receive your love, your forgiveness in my life. Help me not to be ashamed of you. Help me to do like Saul. Help me to go public with my faith in you through baptism. Help me to find a local body of disciples of Jesus that I can be a part of to learn more about you and to live for you. And help me to tell someone else today, Jesus is the Son of God. Heavenly Father, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives as we respond to you in faith and obedience right now. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of our day today.